I'm Rob. And I'm Michelle. And this is Two Two Librarians librarians Walk Into a Shelf. Well, today we have a new victim for the library game. New victim. Okay, well, everybody, I'm Sarah. I am the branch manager here at Madison Library, and I get to work with these very crazy and creative people. I'm having a good time seeing them flourish in their new environment. You're very kind. Thank you. So we're going to play the library game today. It's the library version of... I'm scared. I'm scared. Don't be scared. It's the library version of Kiss, Mary Kill. We're going to call it Display, Shelve, and Discard. Oh, okay. You can pick any... Three authors, one that you would display for everyone to see, mm-hmm. one that you would always keep on the shelf, okay, and one that you would just discard out of the collection. Get rid of. Gone. You'll never have to see them again. Okay. Well, this will be interesting. Who would you always display? Always display is The Sparrow by Mary Doria Russell. I don't read science fiction, but hey, it's Jesuit priests in space. What more can I say? Sounds great. What it more does. do I need to say, actually? And who would you always have on the shelf? No hesitation. Danielle Steele, always. Now the big one. Oh, boy. Why am I scared, Rob? Uh, who would you discard and just totally get rid of from the collection? Just be rid of them. <laughs> James Patterson, <What>? gone. <laughs> Well, James Patterson, we don't want you around here. You know, three or four books a month, it's a few too many. <laughs> and that's just the adult collection. Yeah. So, all, all right. All right. Well, that's our manager, our branch manager, Sarah Sledge. Playing library. the library game. And now I'm really afraid. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks. Uh, thank you for joining us today on our 12th podcast. Wow. 12 whole podcasts. This is, we've done a dozen. That's That's crazy. It is crazy. I've enjoyed myself. Absolutely. Oh yeah, this has been fun. Yeah, and I'm I'm hoping the listeners are enjoying it too. You can let us know. You can review us on iTunes. Leave us a star rating. Leave us a review. You can find us through the library social media. Let us know uh, if there's topics you want us to cover or if you have feedback for us. We'd love to hear from you. Absolutely. Before we do that, Rob, will you take a few minutes and just tell us about your career writing for genre film magazines, specifically uh, scary movies and stuff? Okay, yeah. I've been a horror fan from way back. We've talked about a lot of my favorites on the show already. And working for the different magazines like Videoscope and Rue Morgue, it just is a way to continue to connect with the people that have made films, have written books that I love. It's just a a way to get to know them. When you're a fan of something, you always have questions about it. So when I get to talk to somebody, I get an opportunity to ask them specific questions about why did you do this? How did you know, how did you pull this off? It's really, really exciting, and I've gotten to meet some incredible people. For the new issue of Rue Morgue, I was able to talk to a screenwriter that I've always respected. It's the cover story. It's the cover story. You can't forget to say that. <laughs> it's the cover story of their 23rd anniversary Halloween issue. I was able to talk to him, and his movies that he wrote were made by some of the great Italian filmmakers. Uh, and it, Dardano Sacchetti, uh, he did work that was adapted by Mario Bava, the great Mario Bava, and Dario Argento and Lucio Fulci. And I've learned so much horror history about the movies that I love from him. I mean, he has written most of the movies I love. So, yeah, I get to talk to people. I get to meet more people. I watch a ton of movies. 
You know, they say if you can figure out a way to get paid for doing what you love, the rest of your life falls in place. And I'm basically, I'm basically doing the same thing I did when I was like 14. (laughs) (laughs) I'm making a little, I'm making a little cheese on it. So yeah, it's awesome. It's awesome. And right now is a great time because with so much weirdness in the world, horror is very popular again. So I'm very excited that we're going to get to kind of touch on that today. You know, the, the horror genre, it doesn't, it's not new. It goes back, way back. Uh, You can even start with Greek tragedy. You can look at Medea by Euripides and you can see that Medea, she has like a breakdown and, you know, her husband finds a new younger wife. So she sets the new wife's dress on fire and she burns to death. And then Medea in her fit of anger and grief, she slaughters her children. You know, it's a horror movie. Yes, Um, (laughs) absolutely. You can look at Shakespeare. Shakespeare uses a lot of horrifying imagery and a lot of his plays to. You know, you got the fates talking about stuff. You've got witches talking about stuff. It's just people with animal heads running around. Dead dudes all over the place. Right. Ghosts. Yeah. You've also got art in medieval era. You can look at Hieronymus Bosch with his like frogs eating people and just like, you know, people descending into hell and all kinds of crazy imagery there. Nightmare fuel. It really is nightmare fuel. If you ever get a chance to look at a Hieronymus Bosch painting. You also have the medieval mystery plays and the passion plays where they gruesomely depicted parts of the Bible, the death of Christ, or sometimes the death of saints. You can take it to like Francisco Goya's Saturn eating his son. So if you ever see that painting, that's pretty gruesome as well. And that one's late 1800s, so or mid 1800s. And then you get Frankenstein by Mary Shelley, which is what we consider to be the start of the modern horror genre. That kind of kicked off a whole new thing. Yep. And it's not slowed down since. I don't, I don't think it has. I think that it offers a release to people. And as long as there's people, there's a need for scary stuff. Well, I've heard time and time again that during this pandemic, which is very scary. I mean, I won't lie. This is, this is nuts. Like it's nothing any of us have ever been through that we can reference back to how we handled it last time. But I've heard time and time again that horror fans are riding out the pandemic better than most. And this is probably the weirdest, scariest time for all of us all over the world. It's, it's nuts. And I think that having read horror stories, having watched horror movies, you've kind of seen these crazy scenarios before. And I think it just kind of you have a release uh, no matter how strange your day gets, you can always kick back with uh, a book, a movie, and it's just, you, you kind of ride it out. It's sort of like you just, you're going to enjoy what you enjoy until things get back to normal. And I think that there is a certain wisdom to that. There's a certain wisdom to just getting to the Winchester, having a pint, and waiting for it all oh, to blow yeah. over, you know, so. Yeah, there's actually research that backs that up. People that experience those intense feelings that you get while reading something scary or watching a scary movie, it results in uh, a dopamine crash. So afterwards, you've got that release. You've experienced something, you know, either scary or anxiety filling or whatever. And then after it's over, you've got a safe way to let go of those feelings and just kind of get on with it. So whether your your life is, you know, what we would call normal problems or whether you're going through something that's a little bit more heavy and is not necessarily normal problems, a horror movie or a book gives you a way to confront some fears that you've got in real life and work through them in a, in a safe way. 
So that, you know, like there's a whole like section of science that can back up that a horror movie really does help you work through your problems. Yeah. And is there a safer way of dealing with something that's scary than in the safety of your own home? And that's that's also part of it. Like to really enjoy that feeling, you have to know you're in a safe environment to start with. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's not fun. You know, maybe that's why I didn't like scary movies for so long is because some of them felt like they could really happen. Like, I'm sorry, but The Handmaid's Tale. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Like, it's terrifying. You know, movies about pandemics didn't feel out outlandish and here we are in one so i don't think i could watch a movie about a pandemic right now yeah no i don't Um, want to but a movie about some other kind of horrible thing that is that i don't think is a realistic thing that could happen to me is it's satisfying something within me right now that i didn't expect it to right so I, i think it has to be that i'm in a safe environment and i'm able to confront some of those feelings myself without my brain taking it too far And the nice thing about like maybe a horror movie, they use some kind of monster as the threat, but that monster could be anything. Mm -hmm. You know, Night of the Living Dead was zombies. It was really George Romero and John Russo commenting on the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. Then later on, uh, George Romero made Dawn of the Dead with the zombies coming to the shopping mall. And it's a movie about zombies coming to the shopping mall, but it was also his commentary on consumerism and how obsessed, like even after we die, we're still going to go to the mall. I love hearing him talk about his inspiration for those movies. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's why they're making malls go away. So zombies will have to go somewhere else. (laughs) Bass Pro Shop. The Bass Pro Shops, uh, the micro breweries, the (laughs) wherever people go. I go home. Home Depot. (laughs) Home Depot, yeah. (laughs) Uh, That's interesting, though, that, you know, like we were talking about a safe environment. It's the same thing with roller coasters. You know you're okay, but your brain is kicked into the fighter flight response but your brain can determine very quickly that you're not actually in danger and so it can just let you feel those very intense feelings you know without you know you've removed the danger from the situation so you can actually enjoy the rush instead of like oh my god i'm gonna die it's interesting to look that uh, horror does every couple decades something triggers a new interest in horror and you can kind of go back just using movies as a as an example horror movies during the depression the biggest movies that were coming into theaters making the most money were horror movies they were the universal monster movies that were coming out people were going back to see frankenstein and dracula and the mummy over and over and over again so they have these horrible thing that's happening that's affecting so many people and their escape from that is to go watch monster movies and then after world war 2 we get into the atomic monsters of the 50s. And a lot of times those movies were a reaction to the atomic bomb, to the uh, horrors that science has now created. And it, it gets away from you to the point where Godzilla was actually a way that the Japanese dealt with healing after the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And he's changed over time. He was really like a bad dude in that first couple. But now I think he's he's fighting for us. So he's he switched sides like a professional wrestler. Then you get into the 70s and it was weird. We had a gas shortage. Uh, we're coming out, of, trying to come out of Vietnam. We have the Iran hostage situation. And it was just a really weird time. And this little movie came out of nowhere that launched a million screams 
and some serious, serious box office and Halloween, a little movie that was made for $300,000, all of a sudden starts raking in 50, almost $60 million. And then that started a new, you know, that was, an, that was what people were going to watch then. And that was a different kind of monster. That was the human monster, more or less. So the monsters always change, but we always go back to them. And I find that interesting. Yeah, that, that makes sense of the time period that Halloween came out and how popular it was. Because if you look at the imagery that would have been on the news for years prior, would have been horrifying imagery and violent imagery, especially any reports from Vietnam. And then you've got what's going on at home with the civil rights era and, and that. So it just makes sense that at that point, people, I don't want to say they're desensitized because I don't think that they were. I just think, again, it comes back to you. It's an easy way for people to work through those fears of what actually what happens in the real world. And here you're, you can experience those feelings, have that release and and, you know, you're safe. Yeah, absolutely. There's something very freeing about going into a big, dark theater with a bunch of your friends and strangers and spending 90 minutes watching something scary and screaming and yelling at the screen and knowing that no matter how scared you might get, you're still going to be able to get up, walk to your car, go home. You know, your day is still going to continue. You're going to go to bed, wake up and start the process over. But you have this opportunity to kind of sit in the dark and just have a good time being scared. I think there's something very therapeutic about that. Yeah, it's definitely why why I think I'm into it right now. Uh, for a long time, I did not, I didn't take any kind of genre, anything very seriously. And I don't know what that was a symptom of at the time, but I, I didn't want to read, you know, horror or fantasy or romance or whatever for snobby reasons, probably who knows, Aww. but I'm over that. The library being working in a library will beat that out of you. If you come into a library with that attitude, um, but I dropped that attitude way before I worked into a library. I even called some of those genres guilty pleasures, which I know that we both have very big feelings about that term and how if you like something, you should just like it. And and it's okay if someone calls it lowbrow. If you like it, that's fine. I don't even think that term should even exist at all. I don't either. We should strike it. So horror genre. Horror genre rules. It's Um, like therapy. Yeah. Uh, I can tell you when I was a teenager growing up, that's about when I started really getting into the to horror. And it was huge. It was everywhere. You you would find horror magazines, horror comics at the grocery store, at the drug stores. There were paperbacks all over the place with these crazy covers and the nature run amok books were all over the place. <laughs> and they were about rats and cats and crabs and jellyfishes and flies and just any animal that could possibly eat a human being. Uh, There were tons of vampires and haunted houses and ghosts. And it was a big time. A lot of writers wrote a couple books and then you never found them again. And that was either because they either didn't catch on or they were another writer writing under a different name. And maybe they got either popular under the real name or they went to another pen name. It's worth noting that the first best-selling novel Dean Koontz wrote was his novelization for the Toby Hooper slasher film, The Fun House. And he wrote that under his name, Owen West. So Dean Koontz, huge, big writer now, started off his first big selling book was under a pen name. So I'm sure, you know, I'm sure that bothered him at the time, but he took the money. Of course, Stephen King was huge. And uh, even though his books were never intended for kids, that was certainly a gateway for many of us in the 80s to... To hardcore horror 
And uh, it's amazing that our parents ever let us read that stuff. But we were reading, you know, it was in comic books, so no one said anything. And I kept my mouth shut because I didn't want to spoil a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> but you're coming to it, and you've actually realized that you might have been reading some of this stuff for a while. Yeah, and I find that interesting because uh, none of the things that I've... The things that I had read that I look back and I see this is this would probably be classified as horror. Uh, they're all just considered YA and maybe YA paranormal, but none of them have anything about it being like a horror, you know, the new horror classic or the new horror novel from so and so. It started a few years ago. I started listening to a series by Maureen Johnson. It starts with a book called Name of the Star, and it's about the return of the ghost of Jack the Ripper. And that, you know, that's a ghost that can kill you. That's pretty terrifying. That's horror. It is. <laughs> it is. There's another one called Beware the Wild by Natalie C. Parker. And it's basically like a haunted forest, a haunted swamp. You know, a teenage girl in Louisiana. One day her brother disappears and suddenly she has a sister that she doesn't remember anything about. But the rest of the town, she's like, yeah, you've always had this sister. And she's like, no, he's had a brother. Where's my, who is this person? She figures out that. This has come from the swamp and something is wrong and it's creepy, you know, like a, a creepy old swamp with some haunted stuff. And it is, it was terror. It was scary. Sure. It sounds like an old EC comics story. So it, and it, but it was, it was really good. I want to say it's horror light. Right. So like, I'm kind of a weenie when it comes to scary things and have been in the last decade since having a kid. So these are things that if you're not sure you're into horror, you might be able to handle it. Okay. It's not, it's not gruesome. So you have some, some recommendations for us. Yeah. So uh, another series by Maureen Johnson starts with truly devious and it's about a serial killer that maybe he's coming back or maybe it's this this spirit of the serial killer coming back. Kids start dying off in a boarding school situation and the kids have to figure it out because the adults don't take them seriously. That's horror. True. Yeah. And then uh, some newer release things that I've been into, I've been reading through the books by Riley Sager. So I guess four or five years ago, we had a first novel by Riley Sager called Final Girls, which is kind of a take on the trope of Final Girls, the final girl that survives the slasher movie. And that one, uh, you know, this group of final girls, they start dying. And why? You know, that's that's horror. Another one of Riley Sager's is The Last Time I Lied, which is a creepy summer camp story. The most recent by Riley Sager is Lock Every Door, <laughs> and it's a haunted house story. Uh, it was it was exceptionally creepy. I'm also currently reading Michael McDowell's The Elementals, which uh, is the, what Grady Hendrix recommended. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, and you know Michael McDowell wrote Beetlejuice, so if you, you know it's it's creepy in a different way. It's Southern Gothic, but instead of being in like a dark kind of kind of setting, it's set in Gulf Shores. So he's an Alabama author and he's writing about the Gulf Coast and Gulf Shores and a haunted house. So, um, so far so good. And, and it's creepy and I don't necessarily want to read it alone in the dark, but it's not gruesome. Right, right. It's actually, it's scary stuff. It is. It's very creepy. So if you like, if you're into, or if you think you might be into something a little bit scarier than your usual, those are a few titles that I think you might, you might enjoy. So when you were a teenager, did you watch like slasher movies or anything, horror movies with your friends? Um, the first scary movie I was ever, I ever watched was I was a freshman in high school and I watched Scream at a Halloween party. Nice. Okay. So, so yeah, that was a good one. I think to start out with, I didn't understand any of the, like the callbacks to 
other scary movies in the movie, but it was still, I still understood what it what it was talking about. They did right. a very good job of making sure you can come into it without any prior knowledge. But yeah, I, I enjoyed that. And I don't keep, yes, I enjoyed it. I don't want to say I enjoyed the scary movies because it's a different kind of enjoyment. Right. But then, you know, we talked in a prior episode about all the, the, with the TV spots and the radio spots about how I remembered watching all these movies when I was a teenager in the last 10 years, I could not, I couldn't That's, go near something scary with a 10 foot pole. And I think that you've told me about a movie that you saw with, some girlfriends at a sleepover, which I was shocked. Yes, we watched the classic sleepaway camp. Boom! And that is quite the scary movie in many different ways. That is one of the classics. Yeah. Um, you get a lot of cool points from me for having seen it. <laughs> and it's definitely a movie that you don't forget the ending. You do not. I, it is not for the faint of heart. No, it's not. Unfortunately, we don't have that in the system. But if you can find Sleepaway Camp, that's always a, a fun one to watch with somebody who's never seen it before. <laughs> um, it, fun is a strong word. <laughs> Well, I, I, obviously, I love the slasher movies. That's what we grew up watching. Um, that was actually the rite of passage when I was a teenager was to go to a slasher movie and have some fun with your friends and scream and carry on. And they were just it was just a fun way to spend the night with your friends, you know, just to hang out, have a good time. There was a lot of talk at the time. It was nothing for a movie to come out. And some group of concerned citizens would picket the theaters because they would find something objectionable in the content of the movie. They didn't see any relevance, anything good in some of those movies. Um, I remember specifically a review that Roger Ebert did for Friday the 13th, the final chapter, which is one of my all-time favorite slasher movies. It was the first one that I went to see in the theater with my friends. It was the first time I went up to the ticket booth at 13 and got my own ticket and acted like a big shot acted like I was, I was older than I was, you know, like, well, of course I'm, I'm 17 years old. I have a wife and child at home. I'm going to go get some stuff for my mustache after the movie. One, please. It'll be student. Um, but Roger Ebert kind of hated all the Friday the 13th movies, and he didn't find any redeeming value in the final chapter, going so far to say that the only lesson teenagers learned from the movie was that the world is a cold, cruel, ugly place where you don't even waste time bothering to love anything or have any plans for your life or to be excited about anything because all you're going to do is die. I thought that was kind of extreme. But then when I think about it now as an adult, that to be fair, this is the attitude that my generation, Gen X, has adopted that whole kind of born to die. That is extremely Gen X. <laughs> Maybe Roger was on to something. So thanks, Friday the 13th, the final <laughs> chapter. <laughs> the voice of a generation. That's right. I don't think there's anything wrong with putting on a cheesy movie, though. Getting some cheap thrills, maybe screaming, eating some popcorn, making some memories. I think that's why some of these movies are so much fun is because you watch them with a friend or a group of friends or on a special night and it stays with you forever. I, I actually have a scientific name for that. Let's hear it. It's an automated cognitive process called the excitation transfer process. So basically when your brain is worked up about something, you know, in a dangerous environment, perceived or fake, you know, you watch your scary movie, 
you come out of that, you know, you're safe. Everything's fine. You feel calm, but your brain is still running at that heightened state. So anything that you do after the movie, you're going to have a higher sensory experience with. So if you're hanging out with your friends, your brain is at that heightened state and you're, you know, you're hanging out, you're having a good time, chilling with your friends, whatever. All of those feelings are going to be heightened and now they're good feelings. So it's, 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 it's exactly what you're saying. And it's a proven scientific thing. Makes sense. All right. Well, you've recommended some horror lights for people that might be dipping their toes into the horror genre for the first time. If anybody's interested, these are not necessarily items that you can get from us or the system. But if you're interested, you might could find them elsewhere. If you want to find out anything about maybe the weird paperbacks that came out in the 70s and 80s, I can't recommend anything higher than paperbacks from hell by our friend Grady Hendrix that actually is available from the system as well as overdrive and hoopla. If you're interested in maybe the cycles that some of the horror movies and some of the history and the slasher movies went through, there's a book by Adam Rockoff called going to pieces, the rise and fall of the slasher film. And then that was also made into a really, really good documentary. We don't have those, but they are available elsewhere. There is a documentary that I believe you saw called Nightmares in Red, White, and Blue, The Evolution of the American Horror Film. Yeah, that was really good. It was extremely interesting. Kind of gave you some history and some filmmakers talk and tell you a little bit about everything. Yeah. So that's available out there. One that you can get from the system is a documentary called American Movie. And this is, it's about a guy, a fan, a filmmaker who's trying to make his own horror movie. And you kind of get to see his life as he's trying to put this movie together. And it's really a great, incredible movie. Uh, We do have that in the system if you want to put that on hold. Then there's Eli Roth's History of Horror that's available. And then I found a book. I haven't read this. I love the title. We don't have it in the system. But maybe if you're interested, you'll read this. It's called Screaming for Pleasure, How Horror Movies Make You Happy and Healthy. That's a great title. Yes, by S.A. Bradley. So those are some titles that uh, some you can get from us, some you'll have to continue to look for. But those kind of look at the phenomenon of better living through horror. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. Something that I've always uh, subscribed to. Yeah. I think that concludes our um, our talk about the horror genre, the history, and why people might be drawn to it right now. If you want to know more about some books and movies that we have currently available in the system that are spooky or scary, we've got all kinds of recommendations going on from many different people around the library system on the blog. You can find those lists at blog.hmcpl.org. Rob's got movie lists. We've got lots of people recommending scary comics, scary books, downloadable content, You know, just anything you can think of for the spooky season. We have everything for your Halloween spooky needs, and it's all on the blog. Yeah, lean into it. All right, that's it for this one. Uh, Remember, no matter where you go, no matter what you do, don't don't trust trust robots. robots. The views expressed by the hosts are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the Huntsville-Madison County Library System. For more information on the Huntsville-Madison County Public Library, visit us online at hmcpl.org. If you'd like to learn more about some of the topics discussed today, visit your local library, which is us.
No representation is made that your librarian is more knowledgeable than other librarians or that they have any expertise on your particular project. Come, oh, God. What am I doing? Let me sound smart. Uh, yeah. Um... <laughs>